What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is June 10th, 2022. Phil, it is the calm before the storm that is the Buffalo Bandits game tomorrow. They move the game to 8 o'clock, not 9 o'clock. Don't come in at 9 o'clock because you'll have missed the whole first quarter, possibly some of the second quarter. But, Phil, it is definitely the calm before the storm of what could be the fifth title in Buffalo Bandits history. It's been a very stormy week, so uh, really, really, you know, it's it's the true storm in Buffalo, but uh, hopefully it goes all the way to Colorado. It's going to be insane, and I, I'm excited. I'm very excited for it. As you know, I will be out of town that day for a concert, so we will be watching it on delay. Not not we, my friend and I, Pat, producer Pat and I will be watching it on delay. You will be watching it live, so I'm going to have to go on a bit of a media blackout in case they uh, they win, so... Probably just going to have to shut the phone off for a little while and then watch it as soon as I can and then hopefully catch up to the party a little bit late. I was definitely wondering if you guys had decided because I know the debate was out there if you wanted to follow along, watch it on your phone while you're at the concert or just waiting on delay. But I think you made the right call. It probably does hurt you guys a little bit that they're starting an hour earlier because uh, you'll be even an hour further behind. Yeah, but I think you're making happen. the right call. Yeah, I think you're making the right call. Yeah, I think uh, overall we just might have to have to party a little bit later, a little bit delayed. We'll be in a, a delayed party world, but uh, yeah, hopefully there's something to celebrate, and we will watch a little bit after and uh, get excited, like you said, calm before the storm. Well, if you want to join the party, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show because we are going over all four teams today. So if you only care about one, you can skip around as you please. So, Phil, the streak lives on for the Buffalo Bisons. Another rain delay. So that happened on Tuesday, doubleheader on Wednesday. And uh, that did not mean any good things for the Buffalo Bisons. I guess I'll combine these two games and we'll talk about them as one because uh, it was ugly all the way around on Wednesday night. Game one on Wednesday, they lost three to one. Worcester scored two in the first off a double that scored both runs off Tim Miza, who started making a relief appearance, but he only lasted one third of an inning. Just a uh, not where you want to start your rehab appearance, trying to get back to Toronto healthy. Buffalo would get one back on a double from Taylor in the first inning. Then Castillo came in in the second inning, went five and one third of an inning, allowing just one solo home run. In the run department, but did walk four and scattered four other hits, striking out seven. So him not starting the game was a bit confusing. Didn't make any sense to me, but the confusion continued into game two where they lost nine nothing. It was another bullpen game and another loss. Just it's it's mind blowing what's going on with this team right now with so many bullpen games. Sparker started this one, was on the mound for all three runs scored, an error by large conti- or contributed to two of those those three runs in the first. Pearson. Francis and Holland would keep the Red Sox off the board, but in the sixth, uh, but a sixth run, seventh inning with Yardle on the mound blew any chance of a last inning comeback. It was just an ugly game overall. Overall, through those two games, Bison's had one run allowed twelve. They allowed twelve hits and were only credited with seven hits themselves. It was just an ugly double header, and it's very head scratching what's going on with the Buffalo Bison's right now on a three game losing streak. Yeah, not only the pitching, but we can even start with the hitting. I mean, one run and then zero runs is just not like this team. I know they're not exactly the highest scoring team in the league, but they are a very good hitting team. They do have a lot of offensive talent and power. 
And even, I mean, like you said, they like when we were going over the uh, intro to the series that the Bisons don't have a ton of home runs compared to the rest of the league, but they've been doing it a lot with the small ball and just they've been able to score runs at a pretty decent rate. And we just really have seen their offense struggle quite a bit recently. And as far as the pitching goes, again, Castillo with a, another great outing. So good for him. And then Pearson on that rehab start also played pretty well. Francis in, I would say, what, his first good relief role that he had. I mean, yeah. we have yeah, not seen so. him come into a game in that kind of middle relief role and do well. So good to see him at least get that. But like you said, not sure at all what they're doing with these non-starter games this team has plenty of starters especially with Pearson and Francis I know again Pearson's on his kind of getting back from injury so he's probably not one that you'd like to see start a game yet but Francis was a starter for a long time was a starter to start this season and even for the Blue Jays he was so I'm not really sure what's going on there and then again just they have starters on this team I don't understand why they're doing these bullpen games, and I don't think we've seen a bullpen game work out in the Bison's favor once this season. So not sure if it's coming from Candell, if it's coming from Toronto, or what the strategy is, but it is simply just not working, and we've seen the Bison start to slip a little bit here for the first time, I think, all season. Yeah, I'll go over Castillo first because I want to talk about him. I mean, this is only his second earned run he's given up. Both of them were the long ball, and we said that, hey, he might be a little susceptible to the long ball. He's given up 43 in his minor league career in the 106 games he's played in. So that's not a great average, but when you're scared, he's only allowed nine hits. He's walked nine guys, but he struck out 25 guys. So it's a great strikeout to walk ratio he's playing amazing he's got a 0.77 era which in this in this five and one third of an inning he gave up one run and his era rose which is just it's a credit to him on how amazing he's been doing but yet talking about what is going on with the the decision making i am in the mindset right now and i will i reserve the right to change this idea (laughs) but i don't think it's coming from toronto because there's plenty of guys down in Triple A right now who are on the 40-man roster who can get called up without having to make a move on that 40-man roster to call up relief pitchers. So I don't think it is Blue Jays that are calling down there and saying, hey, we want to see if some of these starters can become relief pitchers. I think the, the trial period, even if they were doing that, is over. I don't think any of these guys are conditioned to do that. Francis is a starter. Anderson is a starter. I don't get why in a time where... You need starting pitchers in your minor league system and in the bigs because guys go on the 10-day IL, guys go on the 15-day IL. I don't understand why you don't want to try to develop these guys. So if you need to call them up, they're already extended. Having them in the bullpen on short you know, stints where they're only throwing 34, 35 to 40 pitches an outing instead of the 60, 70, 80 that you want them to do so you can get you, you know, three, four, five, six, seven innings. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I think this is coming from Candell. It's, I hate to question him after what he was able to do last year, uh, the start of this season, but I think it's come to the time where these bullpen games are not benefiting the team overall. Yes, there are circumstances where sometimes it can be because you're using a different pitcher, so they're not getting any tendencies, but this is clearly not working for the Buffalo Bisons. I will try to research it and look back, but I mean, with this loss, these two losses, they fell to 31 23, three and a half games back of Rochester, but they did get jumped by Lehigh Valley. So they're, uh, they're falling further and further behind. Yeah, I think the only positive 
out of all that is they are only three and a half back. So yes, to be at this yes. point in the season, and I think this is one of the few times that we've really seen the wheels fall off for the Bisons completely. They've had some series that were a little bit closer, but for the most part, they've won a lot of the series that they've had. Some of them, again, have been you know closer to 3-3 splits, but they've won most of them. I think this is the first time we've really seen them go on quite a losing streak or just not be able to string a decent amount of wins together. So I think to make it into June and this be your first main like kind of hiccup in your season, I think that's pretty impressive. So to see them only three and a half back at this point, I think where they're still in a really good spot, but they absolutely need to turn things around and do it quickly. Agreed, agreed. But I guess we do have some good news for the team, but bad news for us. It isn't official yet, but the rumor is out there, the reports are out there that Gabriel Marino, the number four ranked prospect in all of baseball and the number one prospect in the Toronto Blue Jays organization, is going to get the call up in Detroit for this weekend's series with the Blue Jays. Uh, You know, it, it hurts. Here's some of the names that have been called up by Toronto recently that the Blue Jays have lost. And uh, let me know if any of these names kind of sound familiar. Alec Manoa last year in 2019, Vlad Guerrero, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Jordan Romero. Uh, that was a tough year for them. 2020, I skipped over that. Santiago Espanol and uh, Alejandro Kirk. 2018, Lourdes Gurel uh, and Danny Jansen. So over the past five years, the Blue Jays have decimated the the Buffalo Bisons roster. It's a good thing because these guys are getting, you know, the call up to the bigs. They're not coming back down. I mean, none of these guys are, besides rehab appearances, none of them have really been sent back down for reasons of not being able to hit up in the big leagues. So it's a credit to the organization for being able to develop these guys, but it does stink for us as guys that, you know, track and cover the Buffalo Bisons that we're losing another great player to the big league club. Especially when you and I are both Yankees fans, so we're watching the blue yeah, Jays. It's a double whammy <laughs> yeah not only not only are we losing players for the buffalo bisons that we follow but they're going up against the yankees who are our favorite team so it's just helping the blue jays get even better which is obviously an al east rival of the yankees so real double whammy does not help but it is fun i think at the same time for us to see a lot of these guys as we're following the bisons a little bit more closely now to watch these guys kind of develop a little bit more and see their rise through the ranks and see them get that opportunity. I think it's just, it's exciting to see those, you know, those moves, especially in baseball. I think it just takes so much longer in baseball to really get that first start or get that opportunity to hit, to play in the major leagues. And hopefully, you know, when they get that opportunity, they don't lose it, but it's, I think it's just a little bit more exciting in baseball. I think hockey, now I'll say I was gonna say hockey takes a little bit some journeyman in hockey, I guess. But for the most part, I feel like the top prospects in hockey move pretty quick. I feel like baseball, by the time you were making your major league debut, you're 23, 24, 25, 26. Yes, I mean, 100%. Yep. Aaron Judge is in the prime of his career and he's 30. And I didn't even realize he had already made it to like that point in his like life that he's already that old. I was like, wait, what? I thought he was much younger and just that by the time they just hit that stride in the major league opportunity, they're just mid twenties where a lot of these sports are very young twenties. So I think it's just, it means a little more, I think in baseball, especially with all the leagues you have to go through, you know, single a triple a double a, and just, just the journey to get there is a little bit more of a grind than it is for some of the other sports. And so I think it just means a lot. So it's kind of fun for us to see some of these prospects go through the bisons, have a really good, you know, season or season or two, for the Bisons and then finally get that opportunity and to not see them come back as like you said, it does hurt the Bisons and it hurts 
us following the team a little bit, but it is nice to see that when they don't come back, you know, they're, they're having a pretty nice career. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, I also tweeted it out. There's a great story about Gabriel Marino and how he got to where he is now. At one point he had to quit baseball. And I believe if I remember correctly, it's because his family couldn't afford it out in Venezuela. So to see him have to quit baseball and to come full circle and come to where he is now, getting the call to the big leagues and probably going to, you know, stay up there for a while. I mean, there's nothing more for him to prove down here in triple a he's hitting the pitching. He's, he's a great leader behind the plate of the bull. He's, he's leading the, the starting pitchers and the, the bullpen themselves. So I don't, and he's def- great defensive. He's throwing guys out at a great clip. So I don't think there's anything else for him to prove in triple a. So as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be like Alec Manoa and we won't see him again. And it, it stinks, but again, Credit to him. Congratulations to him. When it's official, I'll get my 15 points of the BSC game, which uh, I'll translate to that one. It was not a great two games for us. And, uh, you know, when you only score one run, uh, obviously it's not that great. You scored two and a half points in the game one. I scored five. And then in uh, game two, Phil, first time it's ever happened, neither of us put up any points. Zero. Zero across the board. Uh, We did have players play, but they didn't do anything. So uh, credit to us. Yay. Was it... The Buffalo Sabres that you and I both had like a negative game. Yes, yes. I think that's also happened with the Bisons once or twice as well. Yeah, those are those are never fun. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think the Bisons need to pick it up also for our our fantasy outputs as well. Yeah, but uh, do you have any changes to your team you would like to make? I still have everyone, right? You do. You everybody's still on the team. It's just Capper for some reason still hasn't played yet, but he's still not on the IL. So. You know, with these minor league injuries, it's hard to find info on him, but he should be back at any point. Uh, the debate is on. I think the big thing here is that you're not getting any points. <laughs> Although, not, at no. the same time, I'm, well, I've am well, i pretty much given up on coming back. I'm just trying to chip try to away as much it. as yeah. I can. Yeah, just try to try to keep the blowout a little bit closer. Um, I'll hold. I'll hold for now. Okay. That's what I'm doing as well. That's what I'm doing as well. But the last thing we want to talk about, and I was trying to get this on the last show, and it would have been nicer because I could have tooted my own horn because you know something happened that you'll listen to in just a second. But I wanted to talk about some prospects that could be making their way up to Triple Ace at some point this year, and I think it's fun to track some of these guys in Double A because they're the next round of players that are going to be coming up to Triple A. So I just got four guys to talk about really quick. Tanner Morris, third baseman, number 29 in the system. Yes, does this name sound familiar? That's because he just got called up on Wednesday. So if I would have had this on the Monday show, I could have tooted my own horn like, hey, hey, I told you guys to watch for this guy because he just got called up. He was hitting 309 down in double A, five home runs, 11 RBIs, 30 walks and 30 strikeouts. So that's a good K to walk ratio, pretty even split there. But he's uh he's gonna be playing some first base and third base down in or uh, up with AAA. So congrats to him on the call up. Orelvis Martinez, he's number two in this system, shortstop, number thirty one overall ranked prospect in baseball, hitting just two fourteen, but he's got fourteen home runs, thirty five RBIs, but he has also K'd. 35 times, I'm sorry, 53 times in 168 at bats with only 11 walks. So that is something that he's definitely going to have to fix. If he fixes that, you should see his average start rising as well. He was below the Mendoza line, which is the 200 average mark there. But I, I think he's slowly getting more accustomed to double A. He's only 20 years old, I believe, and he's one of the youngest players in double A baseball. So he's got a ways to go, but he's going to be a very exciting prospect to watch 
grow and slowly become a Buffalo Bison. Hayden Jurgen, now uh, starting pitcher number 26 in the system, 3.78 ERA in 10 starts. He's 0-2. He's pitched in 31 or 33.1 innings. He has walked 15, but he struck out 41. So he does have to get those walks under control. But as soon as he does that, you're going to see that ERA even drop even further. And then Trent Palmer, number 23 in the system, right-handed starting pitcher. He's 1-3, but he's got a 3.62 ERA, 9 starts, 14 walks, 49 Ks, but he's allowed 6 long balls. So he's similar to Castillo in that part where he's given up too many long balls. But he's also walking too many. But both of these guys can strike him out with the best of them. And you can tell that ERA is under four. And that's kind of what you're looking for in starting pitchers moving forward. It's kind of hard to look at that list because it's very conflicting. I feel like starting pitchers take a little bit longer to move up. They like, you know, really want them to develop and make sure they are honed in and ready to move up to that next level. So they take a little bit longer. But to me, that's kind of what the Bisons need. They need that starting pitching and even maybe some better longer relief pitching from starting pitchers that have I don't know, done it in double A that can move into that relief role in triple A, at least while they're starting out and then get some of these actual starters in the triple A level back to being starters. Cause we still don't understand what they're doing. And at the same time for Morris and Martinez, I would have said that both of them look like they could be on their way up at the same time. The Bisons have a log jam in that, infield and I'm surprised Morris even got the call up not because of his stats I think his stats are there he deserves the call up not saying in that way but just the amount of talent the Bisons have in that infield I feel like it's going to be very hard for him to get a lot of play time without an injury and same with Martinez even though he's number two in the system I think it's going to take him a little bit longer just because there's not a ton of space but at the same time if it's you know, a veteran player that's in your infield that might not have a longevity in a major league career, then Toronto or the Bisons might, you know, kind of force some of those players to the bench to get some of these younger guys up and developing. So it'll definitely be interesting to track and kind of keep an eye on, but congratulations to Morris on his uh, AAA debut and his promotion. Yeah, going on the point about the accredited infield, though, I guess you can look twist that into a positive. If these guys can start developing and turning into more versatile and being more of the utility guy, he they can add more value to their resume and say, hey, I can play the outfield. That's kind of what Otto Lopez and Smart Taylor are going to ha- have had to do because it's such a crowded infield. And they only have, I believe if I count it correctly, they only have three rostered outfielder guys so they're having to put Otto Lopez in the outfield they're going to have to they've been putting Smod Taylor in the outfield so there is a gap in the outfield so we're able to see some of these infielders move out there and that creates more opportunities in the infield for guys like Tanner uh, Tanner Morris to come up and like you said that also helps their future career because sometimes that's just how you also make the big league team because We also know that the Blue Jays have a very stacked infield. So sometimes even in that situation, that's the only time you really get a chance to make the big league club is if you are that decent utility guy off the bench can play anywhere. You know, if someone gets injured, you can step in and you still have a really solid bat. So obviously a very great thing and asset and skill for these younger players to learn. So we will cover the last four games of this series on our next show, but we'll move on to some Buffalo Sabres action here. And uh, I wanted to talk about this on the last show, but we were running long, so we pushed it to this one because we knew we had time. They signed Isaac Rosen to his three-year entry-level deal, 14th overall pick in last year's draft. He played in 28 senior games over in Sweden as an 18-year-old and finished with a two-goal, two-assist, four-point year. He recorded four, five, and nine in eight games in the under-20 team. He uh, also earned a 
bronze medal in the 2018 IIHF World Championships with Sweden going 7-2-9 in just seven games. He's the fifth player out of the nine drafted last year to sign. Prokhorov Politov. Uh, he was drafted in the second round, 33 overall. And Steven Sardarian, he was drafted in the third round, 88 overall. Those are the last remaining picks before the fifth round guys set in. So there's still some more guys they got assigned, but getting another first round draft pick, Isaac Rosen, in the system and signed up, it's uh, another step forward in this organization trying to rebuild more of that depth that they had uh, lost over the past few years. Especially with some of these younger guys, like we've seen Quinn might be on his way up. Pacerka might be on his way up, and we aren't 100% sure if either of them are going to make the NHL roster next season. It's looking like they have a good shot to, but even if they don't, even if they do, it's great to see your pipeline continually rebuilt and rebuilding because the AHL level is always looking for that talent, and there's plenty of spaces on that team. I mean, most of the time, even when they have a really good season, it's filled in with some of these veteran kind of journeymen that, you know, are a little bit older that aren't going to be able to crack the Sabres roster. But obviously you have to be able to field the whole team. So a lot of these guys just kind of get picked up as free agents and then have pretty decent AHL careers. But there's always room for these higher powered prospects to join. And Rosen looks like he's going to be a great player, especially with how young he is. And it's great to see players like this. I know the Sabres have had a few of them now that have played overseas versus playing in the juniors in um, Canada or America where they get that opportunity to play against, you know, in, in men's professional hockey before they even come over here to the AHL. So I think it gives them just that little bit of edge compared to some of the other players, it just gives them that, that experience playing up against grown men that they're going to have to play up against in the NHL. So I think it's just that little bit extra experience and it just, develops them a little bit more so i think it'll be great to see rosen on the ahl team next year so a guy we haven't heard of in a couple years now lawrence pilot might be looking for a return in the nhl and he has interest in rejoining the buffalo sabers remember he still has his rights owned by the buffalo sabers so they determine if he's coming back to the nhl it's either with the sabers or he's going to have to get traded from the sabers he can't just sign anywhere because he is an rfa and he does have his rights owned by the Sabres. He's still just 26 years old, which is insane. In 46 games with the Sabres, he had one goal, five assists. With Rochester, he played in 67 games, 10 goals, 39 assists for 49 points. Phil, he is a guy that I know you were high on. He was a guy that I had very high interest in and seeing how he could could develop. But he kind of went over, played the last two years in the KHL, and you kind of forgot he was still there. And I noticed... It, it was a couple weeks ago, I think it was, that I was updating my spreadsheet trying to figure out, okay, who are the Sabres guys that they still have to get under contract? Who are these uh, ones that we still have rights to? Who are the guys that we drafted but don't haven't had signed yet? And Lawrence Pilot came up, and I was like, oh, man, I completely forgot we even still has rights. And then like a week later, he had interest joining the NHL. So I'm not saying I had anything to do with it, but it's just a, a happy coincidence. Yeah, I think it's going to be another interesting one. I mean, the big thing, again, the Sabres are – loaded at defense but at the same time they could use a little bit of health depth is never an issue or never bad to have sorry about the wrong way to say that it is an issue depth is an issue usually and it's never a bad thing to have so if pilot is looking to come back i think he kind of got thrown in the doghouse pretty badly by the sabers and the coaching staff at that time he was really just not given a great opportunity with the sabers i don't think and the he kept I believe he was a healthy scratch multiple times and they just 
did not seem to like him very much. I don't understand why. I don't think he was a mind-blowing player that, you know, was going to just all of a sudden be a top-pairing defenseman. But at the same time, I thought he was a good player, a solid player, and I think he kind of got the bad end of the stick. So hopefully with his ability to kind of keep playing men's hockey somewhere else, especially the KHL, obviously being a pretty big rival to the NHL as far as talent goes. I think that's a good opportunity for him to continue developing. Like you said, he's only 26, so it could be interesting to bring him back and at least see what he's got, I, especially with the cap space the Sabres have, not knowing at all what kind of deal he's looking for. I mean, if you can give him something super cheap and just throw him on the team, maybe a two-way contract if he still has that available to play in the AHL and the NHL and just see, what he's, see how his development's going, see how he's grown, and just see if he can fit your team. I don't think there's any reason that they shouldn't at least give it a look. I mean, there's just a very a potentially decent player that is just kind of sitting there. And like you said, still a part of the Sabres organization that you can just kind of reactivate and pick right back up and see what he's got. Yeah, 100% everything you just said. So there's not much I can add to it. It's a, it's a why not, you know, bring him back if he does have mutual interest there. You're, you can never have too many defensemen. You're going to be losing a bunch of AHL guys to free agency because remember you signed a bunch of guys to the league minimum to play him down in Rochester. There is some opening. I I can see him and like Jacob Bryson trying to fight it out for that sixth role on the defenseman. And then whoever it is, whoever loses it out could be that seventh defenseman or just send him back down to AHL. But I he's, he's worth the shot. I do agree. I think he got the short end of the stick in his development and why you, when you're that far out of it, why wouldn't you just give this guy a shot? So I, I think with the the new management in place and none of these guys were really around when Lawrence Pilot was here, I'll be very interested to see if he does come back for a uh, second time with like a Sabres 2.0 kind of thing. It'll be a, like you said, there's nothing to lose here. You've got plenty of cap space. He's not going to cost a ton of money. You have his rights sign him back, see what he's got. And you might be able to find a diamond on the rough here. And I'm not saying he can be paired with Owen, Owen power, but I mean, you're looking for a defenseman partner and this is, this is a, a pretty decent guy with a, a high ceiling. So why not? Right. <laughs> Pilot power on the line together. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Patent TM. Can't take it. If that happens, that that's ours. We copyright that, but we will move on to the Buffalo bills. Phil, did you know opening day is only 90 days away? It's it's insane to think about that. So we are 90 days away from having to start to change our uh, recording schedule. Yeah, we also have to uh, start getting in the mindset of fantasy pretty soon. <laughs> we do. Yes. Uh, my mindset is not yet there. But, no, uh, no, not yet. We're not almost yet. midway through June. Yeah. So uh, it's going to start rolling around pretty quickly. I mean, there but... was a season we were 40 mocks deep at this point. but uh... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And we realized, no, that's not the best way to do that. doesn't make any sense. None of these players are going to be uh, in the spots they are when it comes time to draft. But some player that will not be uh, going to be drafted in very many leagues, if he is, uh, he might have to replace an owner. Ryan Fitzpatrick retired after 17 years the other day. I think uh, he is a fan favorite. He was a fan favorite before he even came back for that New England playoff game this this last uh, playoffs where he was shirtless in the stands screaming his little face off. But his he was that gunslinger attitude. He was not afraid to make any throw possible. Yes, he was intercepted a ton, but he also made that spectacular play. Fitzmagic was a nickname for a reason. He wasn't part of any great years with the Buffalo Bills, but he was a part of years where I think 
there were a ton of fan favorites on the team. You had Stevie Johnson, you had Ryan Fitzpatrick, you had Fred Jackson, you had Marshawn Lynch. He was a part of some of those teams where you the, the team might not have been good, but under Chan Gailey, that offense was fun to watch. And it he's going to be missed. I was For the last couple of years, I was hoping that he was going to be coming back as a backup, but he did mention that he didn't want to come to Buffalo because he didn't want that Fitz magic or Fitzpatrick curse to affect Josh Allen. So I personally, I know there, there there's some talk out there. I would love to see him sign a one year deal con one day contract with the Buffalo bills to retire a Buffalo bill. I know he played for a ton of teams, so I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I don't know if he would be willing to choose a particular team, even though I think he did by, you know, going shirtless in a freezing cold playoff game, but he's going to be missed. He was, he was a one of a kind guy and uh, he he might be going in the Hall of Fame of greatest backup quarterbacks that's ever played in the league, or at least one of them. And there was always the uh, Fitzpatrick curse that uh, <laughs> his his cycle of going to a team that had a starter, he'd be the backup. The starter gets injured, he goes in, yep. plays well, and then that you just pretty much repeat the same thing in the offseason. He would become a free agent, go to a team that had a starter, that starter gets injured, and he magically gets the starting job, and he just did that over and over for multiple teams for multiple years. It was quite the interesting cycle that always happened with him. But yeah, he was just... Like you said, fan favorite is just the way to put it. Like you say, he's not. It wasn't part of any you know mind blowing Bills years. He didn't end the playoff drought or anything like that. But I think he's definitely memorable during those years of you know no playoffs and when the team wasn't nearly as good. It's the players that you remember, not the seasons, because the seasons are forgettable when you don't make playoffs. So it's those players that you remember that make an impact on you. Is just memories and just things from that time and he was a huge part of a lot of Bill's great memories and like you said Fitz magic and he was just a lot of fun just a, a great attitude and just a, a really great guy and congratulations to him on 17 years and the retirement I'm sure he will love it enjoy it and I'm sure he will still be around quite a bit so yeah good luck in uh, retirement I know you got a bunch of kids that you're going to be spending time with, but I believe I did see that he signed a deal with Amazon. So he's not going away fully. He's just going into that, you know, after retirement quarterbacks going to broadcasting. So looking forward to seeing him there. Cause I do have Amazon prime. So I'm, I'm <laughs> looking forward to seeing his Harvard intellect, you there know, you dissect go. some of these players. And he was on the but league. The buff- he is. He was. Yeah. So you can always go back Great and watch episode. that. Also, He was on the league when he was on the Buffalo bills too. So that was fun. But we will talk about a player that, was a former Bill, but never actually a former Bill. But he was highly talked about being a possible Bill. The Bills signed Tavon Austin, former eighth overall pick. The Bills traded out of that spot with the St. Louis Rams. You remember, they were the St. Louis Rams at the time in that EJ Manuel draft. They traded back. They traded back from eight down and grabbed their franchise quarterback, which it's never what you do to get your franchise quarterback. I said it back then in that draft too. You never trade back and then draft your franchise quarterback. You only trade up to get him. Well, he had 24 catches last year with the Jags. Career 230 catches, 2,132 receiving yards, 1,340 rushing yards, 1,963 return yards for 29 total touchdowns. He's got a very tough way to make this team, but it's added speed. Brandon Bean said in the offseason, you know, if there's a Tyreek guy out there, let him know. He has Tyreek uh, Hill speed, but I think he's really being brought in to compete with the returners. And it's 
I, I don't know if I'm stealing any of your talking points here, Phil, but he was brought in at a time when uh, tra- OTAs were going on. So you're seeing the look at McKenzie. You're seeing look at uh, uh, Marquez Stevenson. So they might not be happy with what they're seeing in camp, and they brought in another guy. Maybe it's just for speed. I don't know. But punt comparison. Austin has 190 punt returns, only 11 month muffed punts, and five turnovers. Compared to McKenzie, who has 58 punt returns, six muffed punts, three fumbles. So just on numbers alone there, Austin has a better track record of being more secure of the ball, and that is something Sean McDermott has preached over and over and over because, remember, McKenzie was in the doghouse last year with uh, Sean McDermott and didn't really see very many punt return opportunities, even kickoffs, where you had Micah High back there just fair catching it. So if Austin finds a way in there to be the returner, it could cost either Stevenson or McKenzie a job. I do agree completely i think mckenzie like as much as we love him we like him more on the offensive side of the ball and just his versatility and speed that he brings there which austin could bring as well but at the same time i do think that neither mckenzie or stevenson have really taken that return job either for kickoffs or punts and just ran away with it quite literally and i I just don't think they truly have a good returner on their team right now and austin could be that guy and at the same time if he's healthy and if he can, you know, kind of bring some of that first round talent back to his career, I think that, you know, I believe he said that injuries kind of derailed his career and that he feels like he's 100% healthy and he's ready to kind of prove to the league that he hasn't gone away. He's still there, still has a lot of talent. So I think if he can prove that that is still there outside of just his special teams ability, I think that also just gives the Bills another weapon. But Kind of like you said at the same time, but the Buffalo Bills have so many wide receivers with the way the draft went and with Jamison Crowder and just with hopefully Gabe Davis, who seems to be having a really solid camp already and Diggs and Knox and Howard. They just have a lot of receiving weapons. And then McKenzie on top of that, it's just there's not a lot of room anymore for a wide receiver. So I could see him making it as a special teams player who could also sneak into some of those five wide receiver sets, or like you said, if they need just a speed play against a certain team, certain matchup that they see, I could see him making the team mainly as a returner, but still sneaking into the offense a little bit. But I do think it is trouble for both McKenzie and Stevenson if Austin really has a great year. I think McKenzie would still be here simply because he's young. And I mean, Stevenson's obviously also young, but I think McKenzie has just flashed a little bit more of that talent. And he has a little bit more of the proof that we've seen on the field where Stevenson hasn't really gotten that opportunity yet. Austin, I mean, I think he's 30. So he's definitely not out of his career. He's still in a pretty good prime of his career. Um, So we'll have to see, I think, just the comparison between the three. But to me, on paper, I would say all three are pretty similar but it's hard to know without actually seeing them, you know, game by game comparison right next to each other. So out of the three, I think I would say McKenzie is still my favorite. But as far as return man goes, Austin might have the kind of front leg up in this uh, competition. He is actually 32, Phil. I Oof. can't believe he's that old. I mean, thinking back to the EJ Manuel deal, it, or tr- the the draft, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it actually really was. It's in, it's insane to me. It was Doug Doug Mc, or um Doug Marone. That was three coaches ago. It's just insane how long ago that was now. But uh, McKenzie, speaking of him, he's going to be on AGT next Tuesday. So I don't know if you watch <laughs> that show. I don't know if you're going to tune in, but he's going to be a part of the singing NFL choir. It's uh, I thought the rumor was breaking. I think in April that he was going to be on AGT. 
And I was kind of assuming he was going to go on like a solo act. I wasn't, I I didn't know it was going to be like an NFL singing choir, but it's good to more publicity for the Buffalo Bills. Everybody loves the Buffalo Bills. So it'll be uh, interesting to catch that episode. It's next Tuesday. He's going to be on uh, AGT. I think it starts at eight o'clock, I believe. See, I would have seen him also in more of a dancing role. I could see that too. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the speed. He's 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 a funny guy. Or comedy. Oh, he is, he is. He is. He's just, you know, a real versatile player out there like, like the Bills really love. <laughs> but the team itself has three more spots. They got 87 players. They bring 90 to camp. They have $5.663 million left the cap space. So they might just be saving those spots for any of these guys that, you know, are cap casualties going down the road. But one guy that is not a cap casualty anymore, but he's definitely going to hurt the cap down the road. David Njoku signed a massive four-year, $56.75 million deal with Cleveland the other day. That's more than Mark Andrews makes. That's less than a million dollars from the highest paid tight end in Kittle. He's making just under uh, Dallas Goddard and Travis Kelsey. He He's an outlier in the tight end market right now, but just thinking about this. We have a tight end coming up on his last year's deal that's going to be looking to get paid next year. This is why we've been saying on this show you need to get Dawson Knox signed immediately because there's no way if I'm Dawson Knox, I'm looking at that number now and going, hey, here's my number. David Njoku has played in five years. He's got 1,754 total receiving yards, 15 touchdowns, 148 receptions. Knox, two years less, so he's played in three years. 1,263 yards, 14 touchdowns, 101 receptions. So he's on pace to top all those numbers by David Njoku. David Njoku is an athletic freak, yes, but he has not ever panned out to where he was drafted. To me, if I am Dawson Knox and I'm looking at those numbers and saying, hey, I'm out, outperforming David Njoku, you know, hand, hand over foot, it's, it's unbelievable what I'm doing. You're not paying me less than him. I'm looking for $14 million. Now, I have been hearing and I have been seeing, and I think this is a good idea. If it comes to it, I can see Dawson Knox being franchise tagged next year. And if they can't work out on a contract extension, he's still number one on my board to re-sign of all the guys going into next year that will be free agents after the following year. It's just this David Njoku just threw everything for a loop. I was hoping you were going to get him around like $11, $12 million. Now I think the minimum is 14 yeah, I think just if you go round numbers, I think you'd have to look at if you're going to do another four year extension, just looking at the straight player to player, you'd have to probably start at 60 million for Knox. Because, again, not only just reading his stats off, but we know from watching him and just obviously being Bills fans that his biggest year was just his third year. So he is just really starting to take off and just coming on strong. And like if if he continues to have a year like he did last year and continues that trend versus his first two years where he was still trying to get his footing as a tight end, still trying to, you know, develop in the NFL. So if you kind of wipe those two years out and you take Knox's most recent year versus Njoku's most recent year, I'm sure Knox kind of blows that out of the water and we expect him to either continue developing to be even better or the at the very least maintain that kind of pace that he had last year in his breakout year that we all kind of expected to happen in year three. So if he can continue that, I think you're looking at absolutely a bigger contract than Njoku. And I still agree with you that finding a tight end as good as he is and just finding that kind of top five, top six tight end in the league is still really important and really difficult to do. So the only way I see him, I don't know, not like you said, franchise tag, I would say makes a lot of sense. The only way I see him not getting a massive extension and staying with the Bills, like if the Bills want to move on as if, 
somehow Howard has a huge comeback this year and they can get him for cheaper or something to that effect. But other than that, I think Knox, like you said, is still number one to get re-signed. I still think you need that just star power tight end because it's not easy to find in the NFL. And I think that now that you have it and he has such a connection with Allen, I think it's going to be very hard to let that go. Yeah, yeah, especially because he's becoming more and more a fan favorite too. But you got to remember, yes, the cap is real. You can play with the numbers as much as you want, but eventually things are going to happen and you're not going to be able to sign everybody. I mean, you got Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, Devin Singletary. You got Dawson Knox, obviously. And then the following year after that, you got Micah Hyde. You got uh, Ed Oliver. So there's plenty of guys that are coming up that are going to need new deals. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Brandon Bean works his magic. I I have complete faith in whatever he's going to be doing. It's just weird coming from a 30-year-old who, you know, with besides the last five years, I had never really seen winning. So being able to have that blind faith in Brandon Bean where he has not led us wrong in any way, it's uh, it's a little weird sitting in this position, but I'm perfectly content just saying in Brandon Bean we trust. And again, what we've mentioned multiple times but just didn't mention just now is that Allen's contract also kicks in so yes that just makes everything that much more difficult after this season so like you said complete trust in Bean I I think he is going to make the right moves whether they be really tough cuts that you hate to see or just finding extensions that work for everybody and just making those numbers you know messing around with them as much as he does and finding that ability to just stay under the cap space and yet at the same time sign Von Miller when you have, you know, negative cap space. So he definitely has the ability to manipulate that cap and make it work for the Bills. And like you said, we have no reason not to trust him, but it's going to be interesting to see how this team shapes out over the next couple of years. All right, Phil, it is time. The calm before the storm, and we just were the calm before the preview here. The Bandits versus the Mammoth, Saturday at 8 p.m. The Bandits lead the series 1-0, and they're looking to win their fifth title in franchise history. It's time. We'll go over what happened in Game 1. They won 15-14. Nick Weiss with the game winner. I know we're going to talk about that you know, just a bit because I don't think we hit on it enough on our reaction show. Nanakoke five two and seven. Burn three four and four. Or sorry, three four and seven. Smith had the same thing. Three four and seven. Buchanan and McKay both had three assists. Fields Coutier had a one two three game. Weiss had the game winning goal, like I said, and three caused turnovers. Vince forty saves, and then for the Mammoth, Zed Williams four four and eight on sixteen shots, ten loose balls. McLaughlin, 3-5 and 8, 11 shots. Robinson, 3-6 and 9 on 10 shots. McIntyre, 3-5 and 8. Just massive games by those four guys. And then Wardell, 1-3 and 4. So all your goal scorers came from all five of them. Only three caused turnovers from the Mammoth, which going into this one, they were averaging just a hair under 7 per game in the playoffs. Ward made 40 saves, so both goalies were at the 40 mark. But... It's it was as close of a game as you could go to, and uh, Phil, let's talk about the uh, the game winning goal by Nick Weiss and what the heck happened with the Colorado Mammoth change in substitution, which is still head scratching, and I still don't understand to this day. But I think the more and more we watch it, and we watched it just before we recorded, it's making a little bit more sense, but it's still very confusing. Yeah, I think when you watch it really closely, it's one of those plays that I think is also just ingrained in a player that if there's a shot clock violation, you simply run off the field as a forward and you get your defense on. And it was just one of those. I think it just ends up becoming a broken play. And I think the biggest thing in this one, one, there there were a few key plays of this thing. One, when the shot clock happened, one of the offensive players for Colorado tried to throw the ball deep into the banded zone and just whiffed completely. 
So that hurt them right there. If he gets that deep, then you don't have that breakaway. And then on top of that, neither of the offensive players saw Nick Weiss run past them. I, I think Weiss was kind of going for the ball, but at the same time, he knew the shot clock was over. And at the same time, he knew McKay was right there. So he just kind of kept going forward. And I don't think either of the offensive players ended up actually seeing McKay. If you watch it closely, it seems like they only see or end up seeing Weiss. Sorry. I think if you watch it closely, they only see McKay. And because they only see him, they figure if they get off and McKay scoops the ball up right there, obviously the defense is going to get on and there's no clean break for McKay. So there's no reason for them not to get off. But had they seen we sneaking behind them, who was already over half by the time McKay picked it up, there's no way that their change was going to be quick enough to allow that defender to get back and not allow Weiss to be on a breakaway. But I simply don't think they saw Weiss at all. And he ends up sneaking past them and just kind of blindly going in and McKay obviously picked it up and saw him wide open and I think it was just the offensive players didn't know he was there and I'm sure once they got back to the bench and kind of turned around to see the commotion were probably like oh that's not good yeah I mean the biggest benefit this one it was Zed Williams that I believe he was the one that took the shot it rang off the backboard so it didn't even clip anybody until it reached back out to the restraining line where I it was definitely for sure this is the one I do know Zed Williams that was trying to hit the ball back into the deep zone which like you said if he would have connected on that you wouldn't have seen this breakaway and you know game winning goal by Nick Weiss but McKay got his stick in there to deflect it the shot clock went both those guys turned their backs where if you if you see the ball is in between Zed Williams and McKay and Weiss is still behind McKay. So I don't even know if they noticed that he was running up there, but as soon as the the shot clock went, you heard that buzz. McKay picked it up clean. You saw Wait Weiss take off. And that's where you could see the two forwards. It was Zed Williams and another forward which I don't know who it was. They didn't even sprint off to the bench. They were just jogging like you said. They, they they knew the shot clock went. They were jogging over there because they probably thought, okay, it's McKay. He's going to get the ball over half. They're going to set up. They're going to call a timeout um, because they still had their timeout because, you know, the timeout was called at 29.8 seconds when Spanger went in head, for, head, head first into the boards. But they probably thought, okay, McKay's got it. He's getting over half. They're going to call a timeout, get their offense on the floor. I don't think they thought, okay, McKay's going to run it down the field because they didn't see Nick Weiss. So I think I think we got it figured out. We would have to interview them, and I don't even know if <laughs> Matt Mammoth would ever admit what actually happened on that play. But watching it slowly, the amount of times we did, which still gives me chills, Phil. It's it, like I still get the you know the little goosebumps on my arms. The hair still stands up, but uh, it's it's just. A huge heads-up play by Nick Weiss and Ian McKay, but especially Weiss, like, going, all right, I got a shot here. I got an opening. Let me sprint off here because the shot clock just went. I'm wide open here, and then, you know, the rest is history winning that one. But it's uh, it's going to be a fun game, too, that's for sure. And with that timeout they still had, that's also another key that they did not take that timeout, not only for the end yep. of the game yes. turnover, but at the same time, like Weiss kind of mentioned, he has one move on a breakaway. He's not known to be a goal scorer. Yes, he has plenty of career goals over the whole you know stretch of his career, but I'm pretty sure Dane Smith in a single season has had you know similar <laughs> numbers that Weiss has for his whole career. So he's clearly not known to be a goal scorer. Yes, he can score. Yes, he has, I think, faith in himself and his abilities. But I think between McKay and Weiss, you could have easily seen either one of them pull up and just call that timeout and try to get the band's offense on the field, set up that last shot, and then you're looking at a completely different ending, not only for 
the recovery by Spanger and the timeout by the Bandits in that situation. But again, we don't know if they would score on that next possession. So I think kind of calling his own number, like you said, seeing him sprint and kind of just see the play as it's breaking down, seeing those offensive players run off the field and then him getting that clean break. I think it's also just a testament to him to calling out himself and just really taking that opportunity and running with it in a humongous moment, obviously championship game game winning goal. I mean, that's just, that's massive to have the confidence in yourself and your abilities to make that play and see that opportunity. So Phil, I'm, I'm going to go over some keys to the game here. It's pretty much the same as game one, game one, stay out of the box. You were very good in this one. You've been very good in all playoffs. All these players, they're coaching them up, right? Staying out of the box. Do not let, you know, the, the refs decide this. Do not get in the penalty box and get in penalty trouble. And, you know, let your power penalty kill, try to, you know, kill these kill the clock and you know that's that's two minutes where your full offense is going to be out there so be smart there get out early you you Colorado scored first but you bounced right back and scored five straight so that was I mean in a 15-14 game that five nothing run definitely benefited the Buffalo Bandits so if you can get out early don't you know kind of stop any of those runs like you said Williams, McLaughlin, and Robinson are the keys to stop. I know Ben McIntyre had a great game in this one, but he's still a rookie. I can't imagine he's going to have another eight-point game, another three-goal game. This was his first hat-trick he's had all year. So Robinson, McLaughlin, if you can shut down their offense on the left side of the field, and I don't – Zed Williams is a great player, but there is no way he's going to go 4-4-8 four, four, and eight again. There, it's just not going to happen. They're not going to be able, if you favor the left side, like we said last time, McLaughlin and Robinson, if you can shut those two guys down or at least limit them, you're going to be able to contain their offense because the, those three guys alone scored 10 of the 14 goals. And then McIntyre and Wardell chipped in the other four. So if you can, you know, get in there and shut those guys down, you're going to have a great opportunity to win this one. And then the last one, and I know you're going to want to talk about this one because you know, you went a little bit more in depth with the goalies. Once again, Get the ball in close. Nanakoke had an extremely, extremely career game last time. Yes, I did call it. I'm tooting my own horn again because it happens so rarely. But even that Nick Weiss goal doesn't look like Dylan Ward is very good in close. He kind of just stood there and was like flat-footed on the breakaway between Nick Weiss. He just like kind of shrugged his shoulders. If you can get in close because, you like, we, like you mentioned, even before the Colorado series came up and we knew we were facing Colorado, it's... He plays so far out of his crease that in close, these talented players that are on the Buffalo Bandits forward group are going to be able to capitalize. And then the only other thing, fan Phil, ban the wave, ban it. Uh, if there is a game three, I'm making a sign that says ban the wave. <laughs> I will, you know, make flyers, whatever I got to do, quit the ban. And I know you look, quit the wave. I know you looked up to 2008 championship game you sent it to me the other day you're like hey watch this uh i i got it skipped ahead timestamp so you're ready to go i watched it and uh what happened in that game phil uh i i can't remember what what happened yes i was watching the 2008 total game on youtube just kind of for fun and i was just kind of skipping ahead watching the bandits goals just kind of enjoying another championship game obviously their last title so i was like yeah let's watch this for fun see what's going on and I was just watching and they were playing Portland. And right after, obviously, it was a home game for the Bandits. Right after they did the wave, it was Portland's next possession. While the wave was still going on, they scored a goal. So all the way back in 2008, the wave happened and they still scored right as it was still going on. So talk about superstitions all you it's want. But uh, yeah, it seems quite real. It's a pattern. 
it's it's a it's a 14 year pattern <laughs> for me the keys of the game are definitely amp up your physicality i think to me the biggest thing colorado had over the bandits was just their ability to be physical i'm not saying the bandits weren't physical at all i think they really started to push back in the second half a little bit more and they were coming off a week off so i think it takes a little bit more time to get your legs underneath you but Overall, I think Colorado just ended up being the more physical team, especially Williams when he was out there. He was just kind of bullying people around and getting those. Some of the shots were pretty long, but he was getting a lot of good opportunities, just kind of backing the defense off, just kind of pushing into the crease. And I think they Colorado overall on offense and defense, especially with the moving picks that the refs weren't calling again, perfectly fine if they're not going to call it. But I think the bands need to take a little bit more advantage of the refs not calling too many penalties and just being a little bit more physical themselves. Also, like you mentioned, stop the runs as far as Colorado goes. I think the Bandits have plenty of offensive talent to kind of have their own runs, but the biggest thing is trying to get those leads and then keep those leads. And a lot of it, like you said, they went out 5-1. I believe they were up 11-8. And it's just, I know three goals isn't massive, especially in lacrosse. That's not really a very big lead, but it's big enough where if they can stop them from getting those two, three goal runs in a row, I think the Bandits have a better opportunity to get runs. And if you can stop the other team from getting them, that is how you win games. And I think just, especially with the team that Colorado is, they're a team that, doesn't mind getting down, which is kind of weird to say, but they're a team that definitely is never out of it, fights back quite a bit. And we've seen it time and time again in playoffs that no matter what the score is, they are still in the game. So I think the biggest thing with that is you're probably going to get a decent lead at some point in the game. And when that happens, you have to stop them from coming back. And that's just simply stopping the runs that if they get two goals, make sure you score right back, two goals, score right back. And that's how you obviously stay ahead. So it's just really about knocking down their counter punch and for me the other big thing was pk who is your next player of the game you called out nanakoke and he had a career game like you mentioned so who you got coming up big in this one? Oh, um yeah, I'm putting is, you on the spot. this is a this is a tough question but i'm going with a guy who has you know been i don't want to say the heart and the soul but he's been the heart and the soul of the team i guess i'm going there Kyle Buchanan, I think, is going to have a 2-4-6 and six game. He's going to be that quiet assassin. He's going to... It was him that stopped the Toronto run that, you know, was able to fend off and get that first goal in the Toronto series in game two, I believe, where he just had that all-out effort first goal um, in that 10-9 game that ended up, you know, being a very important piece of that one. So I'm going, I'm going Kyle Buchanan. Yes, there's still going to be other guys that probably outscore him. There's probably going to be guys that probably have better games than him. But I think he's going to be the key integral piece. And that's kind of why you brought him in, that that veteran leadership, that guy who's been around titles before. And I, I think that's a huge... He, he's been in the position before. He, he, he knows how to win these things. I think he's going to be the key piece to the Buffalo Bandits winning that fifth title. I like it. I like it. As second you as you said, heart and soul is like, all right, he's either going Fraser or he's going Buchanan. And uh, yeah, you went Buchanan, so I like it. Thank you. Thank you. And as far as the goalies go, I did do my goalie breakdown again. And the biggest thing that I noticed just watching the game live, just being at the game, the biggest thing I saw from Ward, he's a very big goalie. So it's obviously not easy to get past him. Yeah, he's he's a big dude. And he's obviously one of the better goalies in the league for a reason. He knows what he's doing. He made some huge saves. But 
The big thing to me was the quick stick goals, and the Bandits only ended up with two quick stick goals. One of them was on the power play, but if you watch him closely, he moves over very slowly. He's obviously way out on top of his crease, and he does that all the time, like we mentioned, but he moves over from side to side very slowly because he's on top of the crease, and there's so much space behind him. And I think something the Bandits need to look at a little bit more, and I think they were looking for it all day with that Cloutier wraparound that they finally got toward the end. But the two big things I want to see them kind of aim for a little bit more in the next game are those quick stick goals, which I think are very impressive to do. So I'm not saying that they're easy or just kind of easy to set up. I think anytime that I don't really understand because neither of us play lacrosse very well, but the ability these players have to catch the ball and shoot it all in one motion. And then not only that, but get a very hard shot off. I don't know how they do it. But Nana Coke to burn, I think it was the 14th goal of the game, was a great example of that. There was no way Ward was going to be able to get over in time, and burn wasn't even near the net. And I think that's one of the big keys is you don't have to be close to the net. It's just going from side to side and setting up a decent angle where you can get that quick stick shot off where he is not going to be able to get over fast enough. And I just don't think with the play style he has, he's going to be able to stop those very well. I'd like to see them... Kind of key in on that a little bit more, but as far as the stats go for Ward, the Bandits got seven in tight goals, six medium, two far, two quick stick, and two behind the back with Fields and Burn. And for Vince, the Colorado Mammoth had five goals in tight, seven medium, one on the power play uh, was one of those medium shots, and then two far. So neither goalie really let up too many longer shots. A lot of them on Vince were medium range and then a couple in tight, but... I think for both of them, Ward was pretty similar with tight and medium being even, and then Vince tight and medium being pretty even. Neither gave up too many long shots, and then the two quick stick against Ward, and there was one quick stick against Vince. And I think that, again, is just the key a little bit more for the Bandits. Not that they really need that many more goals. I think overall, if I wanted to see one thing improve in this next game, it'd be the defense and Vince tightening up a little bit. I think Vince played very well. But I'd like to see them just tighten it up a little bit and try to get that 14 down to a 10-11 score. And the offense putting up 15 is perfectly fine. So if they can just do that again and run it back, I think you have yourself a championship title. And with that, Phil, uh, what's the score prediction for said game? Do I just go 14 <laughs> to 9? <laughs> um <laughs> Man, it's tough because we saw this in the last series where it was 18-17 and then it got real defensive in the second game. And I think you're going to see that again. I'm going to go 13-10. Bandits victory. 13-10. I like it. I like it. I'm very similar. I think it's as similar as you can get. I'm just going to chop one off of both. I got them winning 12-9. I... I'm in the weird position where I want to be at a game three. I want them to win it at home. But if they win it in Colorado, it's not like I'm going to be mad. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm going to be on my couch. I'm going to be in my living room cheering my head off because, I mean, my my wife now has COVID, so we can't go anywhere. We weren't going to go anywhere anyways, but it's not like we can have like a party or anything like that. So we're going to be going crazy in our own house, which I I think is going to be awesome ourselves. We're going to be able to like, you know, get food and you know, drinks and everything and, you know, yell and scream and our neighbors are going to be like, what the heck's going on there? But I, I would love to see a game three. 
I would love to see them win it at home. But if they're winning it at Colorado and I can see them win it on my own couch, I'm not going to be disappointed whatsoever. So, I mean, uh, you and producer Pat are going to be screaming your heads off in Toronto in a hotel room or Airbnb, I believe you got. So uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun Saturday night. Yeah, I think I forgot exactly what he said, but I think Nick, we said it best that as much as they love yep. winning yes. it in bandit land and they would love to play in bandit land, it'd be even more exciting to bring that title back home to bandit land. So I think that's pretty much just where my mindset is at as well. I think a game three would be super exciting. It would also be super terrifying at the same time, the entire game. So I think just just winning Colorado, get it, get it over with, bring the title back and we will celebrate it when they uh, either do a parade or raise that banner next season. Yeah, 100%. But before we close this out, milestones like we normally do, Matt Vince is going to tie Johnny T for first in playoff games played at 38. Priolo is one more cause turnover away from moving into sixth place alone in NLL playoff history. Smith is at 61 career playoff assists. He is good for 10th right now. Ninth is Veltman at 64. Eighth is Sanderson with 65. And seventh is uh, Shetler at 68. So he very well could be boosting up and tie for seventh or have seventh all by himself after this game. Smith is also at 99 career playoff points. He is 10th, or I'm sorry, 10th is only six away with Shetler at 105. So he very well could also have 10th all by himself in career NLL points in playoff history. Brownell and Weiss can both move into sole possession of ninth and Bandit's history in games played with 14. Byrne is two goals away from seventh alone in Bandit's playoff history and goals. He's also six assists away from tying fourth in Bandit's playoff history and assists. Five points away from tying sixth, sixth in Bandit's playoff points. So he's got a he's got a lot of milestones he can possibly break here. Smith is also one point away from sole possession of second place in playoff points and will be his hundredth career NLL point in the playoffs. And then last one, Weiss and Brownell are both two loose balls away from ninth place in loose balls in Buffalo Bandits playoff history. So some huge accomplishments that could be broken this week, some milestones and moving up the ladder in Bandits playoff history. The big one that sticks out to me in all of these is just Josh Byrne. I think he is just so overshadowed by Smith. Not that yes. anyone yep. takes anything that he does for granted. Everyone knows that it's him and Smith who run this team. They are clearly the best, obviously, with a loaded roster. I'm not saying the others are years behind or light years away from them in talent. They're all very talented. But Byrne and Smith are kind of just who the offense runs through. One's on the left, one's on the right. They are the dynamic duo. But I think just... With how much Smith has done, I think Byrne just kind of sneaks in a little bit to the background. Obviously, he has insane highlight goals. He's putting up an insane amount of points this year. He had almost 100 points in the regular season. So he's definitely there. Everyone knows he's there. He's a big threat. But I think just with how much Smith means to this offense and just the you know MVP seasons that Smith has had and record-breaking individual performances Smith has had, Byrne has just overshadowed that little bit that you just don't realize how quickly he's moving up in these playoff history kind of records and milestones. It's very impressive and someone that absolutely deserves maybe a little bit more credit than the bandits give him, not the bandits themselves, but that we give him. Uh, I think he's just taken a little bit for granted for what he does for this team. But Phil, is there anything else you would like to add to this episode before we close it down and get ready for game two Saturday night bandits versus mammoth with a chance for the elusive fifth title they've been looking for since 2008. 
it's going to be very tough to have my phone off in Toronto and just make sure I am not getting any kind of updates. I feel like I'm going to be itching to know the score the entire time, but it's going to be very exciting to kind of watch it on on tape delay. And uh, hopefully we are watching a slightly delayed championship title for the first time, like you said, since 2008. 14 years in the making, 14 long years. These fans, this team has been waiting for that fifth title. Can they get it done or will Colorado force a game three that will all be decided starting eight o'clock on ESPN plus NLL action bandits versus mammoth game two. It's uh it's must watch television. Tell anybody, you know, ESPN plus is only like five ninety nine. So even if you don't have it right now, you can easily go out and order it. Even if you're not a fan or follow lacrosse, this is a game you want to watch. It's a fun, entertaining sport. And I encourage all of you to watch game two with Buffalo bandits with a chance for title number five. So with that, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo sports collective in partnership with revelry house. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo sports collective and on Twitter at Buffalo sports co visit our website at Buffalo sports subscribe to our channel, wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify until next time. Bye-bye.